Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. Morning, everybody. All right, we are in a brand new book this morning. Are you ready for that? Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, we just wrapped up 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians was called eminent. 2 Thessalonians, eminently. Eminent to eminently-er. Because it's even closer and even more at hand. So, a couple passages. Love for you to find with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm fighting a cold, but uh, glad to be here. Didn't want to miss this uh, kickoff to a brand new book study, but uh, maybe no hugs and kisses in the courtyard. I'll give you like the holy elbow. Don't want you getting this thing. Bo got sick. Bo's my grandson. Bo's fighting his first cold. And Bo's mom is sick. That's my daughter-in-law, Hannah. She's got it. Bo's dad is sick. <laughs> That's my son, Mitch. Uh, Annie's sick. My daughter, she's pregnant. She's home watching online. Hi, sweetie. Um, and I got it. Grandpa got it. So I don't want you to get it. Um, holy elbows. Uh, turn to First John while you're um, paging through the Bible there to find 2 Thessalonians. We'll start there, 2 Thessalonians. Just going to look at one sentence together this morning uh, in this study as we launch into this brand new book. And it's not at the beginning. The beginning is actually identical to the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. The introduction, the team that's writing, all the same, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So the salutation is exactly the same. The intro is exactly the same, except for one thing. There's one thing that's different in the intro between 1 Thessalonians and the intro of 2 Thessalonians. I'll leave it to you to find the difference. And if you don't find it by next weekend, then we'll look at it together. But I want you to look at verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, intro pretty much the same, except for one little deviation, which is powerfully important. Make sure you find it. If not, we'll look at it. But here's the sentence for this morning, beginning in verse 3. You got it? Here we go. We are bound to thank God always for you. Here's why. Here's why he's always thanking God for this church. Check it out. Look what he says. Oh, that the same would be said for us, you guys. This is amazing. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith, because your faith grows, because your faith grows exceedingly. Not only that, that's awesome. Your faith grows, your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Now he's writing this because that's just not normal. That's not an automatic in going to church. There's a lot of churches, sadly, that are at each other's throat. That's why there's so many different churches, so many different denominations. Right, I could give you stories on it. He's wanting to lift this one up. He's wanting to prop this one up. He's writing to this one now to provide a model, a template, an example for all of the churches. For this church is known for their faith continuing to exceedingly grow. And their love, their love for everyone is abounding towards each other. So that, same sentence, same sentence, look at verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you. We're bragging on you. We're, we, are, we are writing and texting and, and, and getting the word out amongst all of the churches for this. Look what he says. For your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. In other words, he's writing because it hasn't been easy there. And sometimes when it isn't easy, we begin to sort of chuck these things or 
or, or bail on these things or begin to retreat away from these things. And he's like, no, 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 you're not doing that. In fact, your faith is exceeding all the more. It's growing in the midst of the persecutions that you're faced with, in the midst of the trials that you're faced with, in the midst of the tribulations. Your, your patience is there. Check it out. Your patience is there. Your faith is there. And your endurance is there. Which, look at verse 5, still the same sentence which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. They're getting pounded. They're getting jammed up. Man, they're just kind of feeling like life isn't fair. Welcome to planet Earth. And Paul's writing to encourage them to hang in there to stay strong, to allow their faith to continue to grow and exceed and their love for each other, not just to be taken for granted, but for patience and faith and endurance to remain. And then, and, 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 and then he says this, same sentence, by the way. Look at verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing which God, with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. He's like this. He's like, by the way, God's going to get them. God's going to take care of it. You don't have to settle the score. You don't have to worry about getting even. In fact, that would pull you out of what we're bragging on you about. That would pull you out of faith. That would pull you out of patience. That would pull you out of endurance. That would pull you out of your role. God's going to handle that. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. In fact, look what he says. It's a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation. Not just to repay, but to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. That's trouble with a capital T. God's going to take care of it. And, same sentence, by the way, and to give you who are troubled rest. Isn't that awesome? There's a great promise. He is going to give to you who are troubled rest. Hallelujah. Rest. Rest with us. You're like, when? He tells you when. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Rest is coming, you guys. What Paul is saying is endure. What Paul is saying is stay in the fight. What Paul is saying is don't give up. What Paul is saying is remain patient because the best is yet to come and the Lord is returning it is imminent it is eminently er <laughs> than it was before he's coming back in fact look at verse 8 same sentence he's coming back in flaming fire he is not as a little baby not meek and mild the next time he comes not this innocent little infant he's coming back in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ now turn over to first John I want you to see I think I, I really think I think probably more than than anyone other than Jesus who's influencing Paul here in his life as he's writing to this church is is the disciple John and maybe by a process of elimination because the other ones you know Paul outlives all of them and gets pounded, you know, and, and uh, he's dropped in a vat of boiling oil. He's, he's left abandoned uh, on, on this Isle of Patmos, you know, and everything. And yet he writes, and he writes in a very similar, I want you to see this, in a very similar way to which Paul is writing to want a church, to want a church that is in the midst of enduring great suffering and great difficulty and, and, and strong persecution and, 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 and hardships and kind of like the squeeze is on and Paul is just wondering, are you going to remain steadfast? Or are you, like so many, going to end up chucking your faith and abandoning the cause? And he would write to us, Paul as well as John. In fact, look what John says here, 1 John chapter 5. You got it? Okay, I'm going to give to you the secret of life now. I'm giving you the purpose of why you and I are on this planet. I know you'll spend good money on going to movies and concerts and out to me. I'm giving you all the goods right here. You ready for it? Okay, stand up. I want you to stand. I want you to stand and receive this with me because... John lays it out in a complimentary passage to what Paul has now written. And I want you to see, in fact, there it is, right? It's like oh, big font, huge, big enough for you to read it with me, right? You want to? Yeah. 
Come on, let's read it together. Ready? Go. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him, who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus... You believe that? Say amen. Amen? You may be seated. Hallelujah. So, um, here's the deal. My son-in-law just finished law school. How cool is that? (laughs) Son-in-law. (laughs) Son-in-law. And he just took the bar, and he's doing amazing. Just landed his first gig. And we were wanting it to be close. Like he could have ended up going anywhere and sort of like taking our daughter with him. We we're like, oh Lord, we're just praying it's close. He got his first gig in a law office on Delmar Heights. How close is that? And just moved into his office this last week, got his first paycheck on Friday. And uh, it's just off to a great start. Brand new profession, just doing so great. Godly kid, we just love him. So proud of him. There are a few godly lawyers out there. (laughs) Yeah, a few. Um, And I was thinking about him, just praying for him, you know, and everything, and just um, so delighted that he's a part of our family. And and so I don't know if it's because of that and his move into his office and kind of the start of this new chapter in our lives all together, but Or maybe it's just this passage of Scripture that the Lord has brought before us. But what I want to speak to you this morning about, just for a few moments, is preparing for trial. Because whether you're a lawyer or not, and I don't know if Seth will ever see the inside of a courtroom. I kind of hope he doesn't. Um, But if he does, he better be prepared. In fact, what he's experienced already as this you know, new junior member of the firm is a bunch of partners that are dumping loads of work on him so that they're prepared for trial. Now, whether you're a lawyer or not, in this room this morning, you've got to realize that's exactly what Paul is writing in this passage of Scripture for all of us to be prepared for trials for tribulations, for for difficulties, for the enemy knows that time is short and wow, does it ever seem to me like he's turning up the heat in these days that remain before the imminent return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the question is, are we prepared for all of that as it goes down, as it hits the fan and we all face it we all face trials so so we might as well take this time productively this morning to prepare ourselves for trials they're going to hit us they're going to hit all of us we all face them the bible says that it rains on the just and on the unjust it hits all of us you can't be like in the room this morning thinking that it's just not fair for you, that everyone else is being treated fairly, but you're not being treated. No, no, it rains on the just and on the unjust. It isn't really a difference in the what. The what is what we all face. Welcome to the planet. The difference is in the why. And the why, the why has to do with the three things that he mentioned in verse 4. Do you remember what he said in verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 4, he laid out three things that help to determine the why that's behind the trial, the why that's behind the storm, the difficulty, the tribulation, the persecution, and the three things that help us see the why of the trial, the feature of the trial was what? You remember what they were? Our faith? It has to do with our faith and, our, and, our, and, 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 and not... Why he is writing to them is he is not wanting them to abandon the faith in the midst of the fight. Faith and patience and endurance. Now here's a clue. Here's a clue to that whole deal. And a lot of us grew up, bear with me if you're like 
young and here and glad you are listening to the old bald guy. But a lot of us grew up in the civil rights movement and sort of watched it sort of play itself out, whether it was in, you know, the south of Alabama and Birmingham and, and or, or whether it was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. But we would, in the midst of that civil which not much has changed, you know, over the decades. It really hasn't changed much in the narrative of where our country finds itself. But in those days, we can remember in that civil rights tension and movement that they would be singing a song over and over again about, we shall overcome, we shall... But what we have just stood together and read from First John would then change the lyrics of the song. And how much would this change your perspective in going into whatever this next week has in store or month or year or season or whatever it is that you're faced with to not be singing oh we shall someday overcome it's still just out of reach but someday we shall overcome that's not what john is writing that's not the promise to which paul is providing for them to hang in there and continue in their faith and patience and endurance no what if the lyrics actually went more or like, like what? Like, we have overcome. Not we shall, but we have because of Jesus Christ. That changes your entire reality and perspective in light of whatever you might be challenged with or faced with in your life this morning. We have because of Him. Church, we have overcome and we shall overcome because of the victory that he has already provided and we just might find ourselves in this ring going another round and another round and another round in the ring but the outcome has already been I mean are we believing that or not because if we're not then the faith begins to fade in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the trial the patience begins to wear and the endurance runs dry but if we approach it from the confident aspect that we have already overcome because of what Christ has accomplished for us you see this was the distinction of Joseph I look at Joseph's life a lot I am so glad that it is in the biblical narrative and he's not the only guy you know you can't like look at Joseph and go oh my gosh it's just so unfair for him he's not the only one sold into slavery there were like a bunch of blokes on that block being sold into slavery that day. He's not the only one. Sometimes we can feel so much like it's all on us. Woe is me. He's not the only one. There's many that, that are being treated unfairly, that are being mistreated, being lied about. He's, he's, we know from the story he's not the only one in prison. A bunch of guys in prison. Bunch of guys in the story of scriptures that have been spitefully treated, unfairly sentenced. I mean, Joseph certainly stands out to us, not because he's the only one sold, not because he's the only one lied about, not because he's the only one in prison. So what is the difference in Joseph's life? What is the distinction that stands out to you? You know what it should be? Here's what it's got to be, the dream. The distinction in Joseph's life is the dream that he never lets go of. In spite of being horribly abused by his brothers, left for dead, lied about. They went to the extent of sprinkling animals' blood on his coat of many colors, taking it home, lying to dad and saying, see here, here's the proof. He's a goner, he's dead. Animals got him. But what stands out to me is that in the midst of that, Joseph never lets go of his dream. He's thrown into prison, unfairly sentenced for something that he never did, never laid hands on Potiphar's wife, did he ever. And yet the Me Too movement seemed to have been as much of a deal in Genesis as it is in our generation, that everyone just believed her because she said it. And what she said was when Potiphar was out working in the fields, Joseph took advantage of her, and he never did. And yet now he serves this sentence in prison for something that he never did. But the distinction is not that. The difference is not that. The difference and distinction is that in the midst of that, he never forgot about the dream. In fact, I would go as far as to say the advance 
as horrible as they were, as painful as they were in his life, as abusive and as unfair as they are, those events helped to prepare for Joseph to see his dream actualized. Don't knock it. There's a point to it. There's a purpose to it. There's an advantage for it in your life that the Lord has so seen fit to permit. Nothing happens to you without it first filtering through your heavenly Father's fingers. And here Joseph could have been shaking his fist at heaven and saying, this was not in the dream. But somehow believed that in the midst of whatever he was faced with, those things were actually helping, those events were preparing for the dream to become a reality. You see, this morning right now, Satan, in the stormy seasons of your life, in the trials and in the questions and in the wondering and in the difficulties of being human, of being on this planet, Satan wants you to lose sight of the dream. Do you hear that? He wants you to lose sight of the dream in light of the struggle, in light of the unfair, whatever it is that's happened. And just because, just because Joseph's dream is tested doesn't mean that Joseph's dream isn't true. In fact, I think we could all agree that it's in the testing. Dear church, listen, listen. It's in the testing. It's in the testing that the dream becomes more true. That the faith becomes more real. That the patience actually pays off. And the endurance comes with great reward. It's the testing that makes it more genuine and more valuable. See, rather than Joseph being overwhelmed, which he very well could have been, and I'm not here to in any way minimize or make light of your pain. Pain is real. Life is hard. Humanity is evil. It's a fallen, wicked world, okay? Um, but the reality in the midst of that is that you have a choice, and Joseph had that choice, and that choice was made for him not to play the victim card, not to be defined by being overwhelmed, and I'm certain of the fact at times he felt that way. Justifiably, he felt that way by the mistreatment of his own brothers. But instead of him being overwhelmed, he overcame. And that's exactly what John is writing to you. You stood and you read it with me. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Are we going to be overwhelmed? Or are we going to be overcomers because here, clearly the purpose of our life and whatever has now been born into this relationship with God through faith overcomes the world. He doesn't say it once, he says it twice. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And he says it this way, so amazing. He says, and these commandments that we have been asked to live by and this sex talk that we all would rather be in listening to as Stephen's talking to the kids. I mean, what an afternoon for you to say to your kids, hey, what'd you learn in church today? Because none of them are going to look to you and say, oh, nothing. We didn't talk about it. You talked about sex, man. Spicy. So what is God's plan and purpose behind the rules that are laid out? Well, clearly, that would be a wonderful conversation that we're just trying to come alongside of you as parents and help prepare them. And you can either live overwhelmed or you can live as one who has overcome the world because of what Christ has come and accomplished for us. He actually says this. Do you remember this back there in 1 John chapter 5? He says, and these commandments are not burdensome. So none of them really actually can be listening to Stephen and Esther right now and saying, yeah, that's just too hard, man. We can't do that. 
And not even to say that whole issue has to do with them, because you can't even check out at Vaughn's. <laughs> uh, without being sexually charged, if not tempted, by everything that is staring back at you on the magazine covers. Everything that's waiting for you online, everything that surrounds us in this perverted world. How can you be an overcomer rather than one that is just completely overwhelmed by it all? Well, John tells you the purpose and point of your entire existence now to be lived out by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for you is for you not to be tripping on how it's like, oh, it's just it's too hard. And the fact of the matter is a lot of people have given in to the temptations and the difficulties that surround us in the world. The reality for many of us in the room right now is that too many Christians are not overcoming. I'll just pick on my own little line of work for one second and say there are far too many pastors' wives who have become widows way too early because their husbands became overwhelmed, even in this line of work, instead of this overcomer of a life to which has been afforded to us by Jesus Christ. And Joseph could have just sunk under the covers in a fetal position and just kind of cashed it in and gone out as the overwhelmed train wreck of a victim. And, and he doesn't. He even says at the end of it all that, that what the enemy used for, meant for evil, God, what? God used it for good. That is, that is the experience of overcoming that Christ has guaranteed to give to all of those that will trust and believe in his name. In fact, Jesus writes seven letters. And, and the same guy, John, here that we've seen in 1 John, helps to pin them all down and distribute them all out. As Jesus, listen, in the book of Revelation, writes seven letters to seven churches that are faced with seven different circumstances. And in all seven, here's the thread of commonality in each one of those circumstances. He gives to them a way to overcome instead of being overwhelmed. Can I show them to you real quick? In Revelation, look at Revelation with me. Revelation chapter 2. We kind of start this whole thing. And I'm going to run through them really, really fast and show you this amazing, I think, insight and thread to which God has for us this morning. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus himself writes the first of these letters, and the first one goes to the church at Ephesus. And we know the church at Ephesus is the church that left its, it's the loveless church, right? Does it say that in your Bible? It is the church that left its first love. Now, here's what he says. Look at verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. Now, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes... Okay, stop right there for a second. Okay, ask yourself, overcomes what? Overcomes that temptation that is now plaguing that church. Are you with me? So he who overcomes what? In the context, he who overcomes allowing their love for the Lord to dry up, to get lost in the shuffle of, 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 of living, that other things begin to move in and, and crowd him out. And he's saying, no, 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 don't let that happen. In fact, he who overcomes that, overcomes what? Overcomes allowing other things to become things that we love more than God. Yeah, he who overcomes that, I will give to eat from the tree of life. There's a goodie. 
That's been longed for since when? Since, since it went wrong in the Garden of Eden. The Lord's like, I'll fix everything that broke right out of the gate, man. And you can eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's not even in Eden anymore. It didn't go well in Eden. Now it's in the planet in the paradise of God. What a goodie for those who live an overcomer life. Instead of allowing other things to take the place that God and God alone allows to be in your heart. So overcome that temptation and know that in doing so, there is a great reward. Secondly, look at the next one here. He writes in chapter 2 to the, to, the, to the church in Smyrna. Now, the church in Smyrna is interesting. Um, it's the persecuted church. So like Thessalonica that Paul is writing to, Jesus writes to a church who is also getting pounded. They're getting squeezed, man. They're being persecuted. And he writes to them and he says this. He, he, he says, look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes, okay, so now you've got to put that in context. Overcomes what? Well, when he was writing to the church at Ephesians, it was to overcome the temptation of loving other things more than loving God. What is it in this case? Well, they're being persecuted. And in being persecuted, there's a temptation to chuck your faith, to just leave it behind, to just hang up the cleats, man, and call it done. Call it, no, no, no. He who overcomes that temptation will not be hurt by the second death. You're like, the second death? What's the second death? Well, some of them were being persecuted to such an extent they were actually being killed. Okay, so that's the first death. The first death is when we die physically. The second death is spiritual death. And he's like, if, 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 if you hang in there with faith and with patience and with endurance, you will in no way be harmed by a second death. You will actually not be hurt, but you will overcome the second death. Do you remember when God says, yeah, back to that tree that was in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, the day in which you eat of it, in the day that you eat of it is the day that you will surely, what, die. Did they die? Well, they didn't die physically, but spiritually, they were removed from the garden and severed out of relationship and fellowship with God. Sin severed the relationship. And, and he's like saying to them, he's like saying, he's like saying, here's the reward for all of you that overcome wanting to cash in your chips too early and quit because of the squeeze of persecution. And I'm promising you that if you overcome that, you won't be hurt by the second death. Thirdly, he writes, he writes to, a, to a church in Pergamos, which is a compromising church. I mean, how more relevant do you want to get this morning? Because here you find a church that he is writing to that is surrounded by compromise. And yet in being surrounded by compromise, look what he says in verse 17. Chapter 2, Revelation, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, okay, context, overcomes what? Compromise. He who overcomes compromise, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. You're not telling me there isn't rewards for those rather than just calling it done and playing the victim, being overwhelmed with life can be the overcomers. You're telling me there's not great rewards? Hallelujah, is there ever. Look at the next one, Thyatira is the next church that he writes to in Revelation chapter 2. And Thyatira was surrounded by corruption. It was, being, it was being infiltrated and infected with, 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 with corruption. And yet he writes to them and he shows them a way out. And he, in fact, he says this. Look what he says. Look in verse 26. Revelation 2 verse 26, he says, He who overcomes what? Overcomes what? Overcomes what? Overcomes corruption overcomes compromise over over overcomes the persecution look what he says here those who overcome the corruption and keep my works until the end to him i will give power over the nations wow you kidding me 
How awesome is that? It will give you power over the nations if you don't give in to the corruption that pervades this culture but become an overcomer instead of an overwhelmer. He writes again in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Are you seeing this thread of commonality with me? Are you seeing what he has in store for those who live not an overwhelmed life, but an overcoming life? And to this, in Sardis, a very dead church. The dead church is the church at Sardis. And yet, here's the way out. He who overcomes, overcomes what? The propensity to allow things to die on the vine. To him... He will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out from the book of life. You know, the very fact that he would write that would lead me to believe some are blotted out. I mean, if none get blotted out, why would he even say it? In fact, it's Jesus who's saying it. And so here is a fair warning to not go dead, to not just go corrupt, to not compromise, to not be blotted out. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You guys, how awesome is that? Let's get to this one. The church at Philadelphia. The Philadelphia church was the faithful church. So so look what he says. Look what he writes to that church. In chapter 3, look at verse 12. He says, he who overcomes, says it to every church, Here's your out to what you find yourself surrounded by. To these guys, he says it would have been really easy for you to become unfaithful. Because like, well, why not? Everyone else is doing that. And he's like, no, no, no. He who overcomes unfaithfulness, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He'll he'll go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Church, stay faithful. There is great reward in what God is promising for those who overcome instead of live the life of just being overwhelmed. He writes to one more. You know who it is the church of Laodicea in chapter 3 he writes to the lukewarm church look at verse 21 he says he who overcomes overcomes what just going cool just living lukewarm to him who overcomes that I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. What an awesome thing. For us not to give in, but to hang tight and to allow our life to be a life of faith and patience and endurance like Joseph in the midst of what the devil in the world wants to throw in our face as much as it's hitting the fan as much as he wants to talk you out of the dream I have laid out for you according to the very words of Jesus what's in store for the overcomers in the room hallelujah you guys because John starts by stating we have overcome and then seven times Jesus backs it up with seven circumstances of also pretty much laying out the decision amongst all of us that needs to be made. Will we or will we not? Could it very well be that you're in a room of overcomers and yet still living overwhelmed by the things of life that are keeping that dream from becoming a reality. Consider replacing the overwhelming with the overcoming. In fact, a phrase that we have sort of embraced and likened as a church from even some other ministries around Southern California is this hashtag, God's got this. God's got this. Whatever this is for you, my friend, and there have been so many across the services this weekend. Last night, 
I don't think we got home till nine. Just praying with people and praying for people for whatever this is. And, and for some, this is cancer. And for some, this is porn. And for some, this is divorce. And for some, this is that. And this is that. And this is that. And God's got this. And if this is an addiction, God's got this. And if, and if it's an illness, God's got this. Does he or does he not? Is he or is he not? Some of you are like, I, I, don't, I, I just don't know. I don't know if he's big enough. Just think of that. I don't know if he's big enough. Um, I, I follow Stasi online. Stasi's one of our worship leaders. And I, I just, I love the way she leads worship. I love all of our worship leaders. Okay, base is covered. But Stoss, we're going on six years together, and man, is she anointed. She does a great job. But what I really like following her online about is what she's accomplishing in the gym. And you ought to follow her online because it's fascinating. And if that's weird for you to follow her online, follow me online while I follow her online because she's just getting buff, and she's shedding pounds. She's doing amazing. She's just rocking it. She's doing awesome. But here's what I've learned in watching Stassi grow and, 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 and become strong in the gym. What I've learned from watching her is this, <laughs> that if you can lift 400 pounds, you can lift 200 pounds. You're like, duh. No, no, no. I mean it. If you can lift 400 pounds, then you can easily manage 200. And I'm not sure we have all connected the dots to realize that. Because if he is God, the God of the universe, he can handle your deal. God's got this. He can handle the weight of whatever it is you think is causing you to question whether he's big enough. We were, we were driving this last week. We spent some time, uh, just Bon and I together with her folks, with my in-laws. And um, 15 hours in the car we spent, just Bon and I, the way we survived that is I drive. <laughs> and she reads and sometimes she reads to me which that's hot that's fun and and so we're driving and 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 going up to the lake to spend time with with her parents they've invited us to do this so many times we've never taken the time to do it just the four of us and we just really felt like this this was the time that we needed to do it so it's like uh, seven plus each way and on the way and on the way back we saw a broken down motorhome so I'm pulling the trailer right because we're camping with her parents and I see this broken down motorhome and uh, at least I did she was reading but um, and, and we saw a broken down 18 wheel big rig and we saw a broken down bus with like all the passengers on the bus out of the bus while they were waiting uh, to fix the bus. In all three cases, a tow truck shows up on the scene, and in all three scenes, the tow truck was not a Prius. <laughs> no offense to you Prius-loving drivers, but you will never, ever, ever see a Prius tow truck. In fact, the tow truck that showed up in all three cases, whether it was the motorhome or the big rig or the bus, the, the, the tow truck was always bigger than what had broken down. You will never see a Prius tow truck. The tow truck to get you out of the ditch is always bigger than the breakdown. And your God this morning is more than able and more than capable. You have to stop limiting Him as if you have some Jesus driving Prius of a Savior kind of going on. He is not driving a Prius. He is driving enough to pull you out of the ditch. Listen, you don't get, when you call on Him, you don't get AAA. You get Triple J. You get Jesus 
who is God. You get Jesus who can save. You get Jesus who is the Spirit who can come and to comfort and to lead. But you need to call him. And some of you aren't because you don't think that he's capable or big enough. And he is. No, no, I can just pull myself out of my own ditch. Get over yourself. And call on his mighty name. And if we have the faith, that's faith that then translates into the patience to know that He will come and will come sufficiently to provide for us in our time of need. See, the opponent wants you to just stay broken down. The opponent that is against you wants for you to just continue to think you've been forgotten. And I just don't see any sign of that whatsoever in the story of Joseph. The opponent, the enemy, wants you just to continue to just fail and, 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 and remain broken down in, in, in the ditch and, 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 and just know that you're guilty and undeserving and no one's coming. And, and, and that, don't buy into it. Call on his name. Let him rescue you. Let him carry you through. Let him complete and perfect in you the work that he has begun. Let him show himself strong on your behalf. You get him and all that he represents that is waiting for you in heaven. We, we were all watching the game the other day at the house and the boys were there and Seth and Annie were there and it's just, just fun that we, we enjoy each other and being together and now even more fun because they're grandkids to play with and another one on the way and we're watching a game and I, in the midst of the game, I don't even remember which game, but you know the red flag is, you know, challenge man and I don't know, one of the boys said, oh, I hate this. Just holds, holds up the game, slows up the game so much, and, and challenge this and the instant replay. And, and he's like, you know, baseball now has the instant replay and challenging the calls. And football, you throw the red flag. Even hockey. We're watching a hockey game the other day, and they carry the puck over the blue line into the zone, and minutes go by. They're passing it around, and finally they shoot and they score. And all of a sudden, the coach from the other team challenges the play and it's not like he throws a red flag on the ice he just sort of says uh i'm going to challenge that and they have to rewind the tape like minutes have gone by in the game and they find out that yeah when they crossed the blue line one of the guys was off sides no goal oh i hate that man the whole game is just like all messed up now no you need to embrace this you need to accept this you need to receive this you know why because you have an accuser you have an accuser that stands before the throne of God and accuses you night and day. Did you see what he said? Did you see what she did? Let's replay that. And fortunately, in my life, personally, fortunately, we get to replay a decision that I made all the way back in 1972 that covers every single one of now these illegitimate calls that the enemy wants to use to pull me out of the game. And the Lord's like, uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, let's go ahead. Instant replay all the way back. Yeah, there he is, forced home, surrendered his life, and proclaimed Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. <laughs> Winner! Victory! That's got to be our ambition. That when things go bad, you don't lose sight of your dream. When things get hard, you've been prepared for trial so that you're not shaking your fist and saying, what good is he? But rather, what's he going to do? What's he going to do with this? And you can rest in his grace. You guys, he died for you. He died for me. He overcame this so that I can now overcome this. Hallelujah, and it will all be worth it. In fact, Jesus himself in Isaiah, look at this verse. In Isaiah, there's this promise that is given to us. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to look at this together in a brand new series called Christmas Backstory. And some of the promises and predictions and prophecies leading into the birth of Christ and the life of Christ and why he came. And ultimately in Isaiah like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds 
and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he's born in Bethlehem, this is declared, this is declared, that he, that's Jesus, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Can you soak that in with me for a second? Please, church, realize that he, even before it went down, knew that it was all going to be worth it. You guys, he knew it was all going to be worth it, that he would look and see the labor of his soul. The labor of his soul. Yeah, the whips and the scourging and the crown of thorns and the nails and the pain and the rejection and the abandonment and the denial and the betrayal and all of it would be worth it for the joy that was set before him. He endures the cross and says, I'm satisfied. That's got to become our ambition. More than anything else in our lives, and it will prepare us for trial to behold this truth, that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the suffering, we'd be able to say what he says. To seek to live, to experience this, knowing that it's possible to say what he says, to come to the place of saying, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Because the features of the trial have been clearly laid out for us in his word. The features of the trial is to see our faith strengthened and our patience remain, and our endurance to actually grow stronger. The features of the trial should help determine the outcome. What will the outcome of your trial be? Some of you are in the midst of it. Some of you need to know you came to church this morning to be prepared for the trial that's right around the corner. So, hey, hey, what will the outcome of your trial be? Will you quit? Will you walk out? Will you, will you abandon the race? This is not the time, church, for us to think that He's brought us this far for the imminent return of Christ to now give up, to now blow our brains over the wall, to now give in to the pressures of culture that surround us? What will the outcome of your trial be? Here's my last thought, and we'll close. Turn back to 1 John. Turn back to 1 John with me. We looked at chapter 5. Look at chapter 1. Look how he starts. Look how John starts. He says this at the beginning of this little teeny letter. Verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We're inviting you to receive this, to accept this. We declare this to you. The arms of the Lord are open. The door of heaven is wide. You can come in. You can step into this life. That you may also, look what he says, you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Heaven's purpose for the pain is deeper fellowship. Heaven's plan for the trial is to build the relationship between you and the Lord closer than it's ever been. And that point of pain that you experience, that ouch, that question is what causes you to cry out, to say, God, it is the preparation that Joseph needed in the pit to say, God, I am entirely and completely depending upon you. In prison, all of it preparing him for the dream to be actualized. And the dream is for the fellowship between you and the Father to be sweet. 
and to be real and to be strong and to be more genuine than it ever would have been if life had been limited to a bunch of rose petals. Because then you would not call upon him. You would not lean in and know of your need. The point and the purpose of it all is fellowship. In fact, look what he says next. It's amazing what he says next. He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. How does your joy become full? How does your joy tank overflow? How, you guys? In the context of the verse, it's not circumstantial. It's not situational. This is not like your joy is full when you get a clean bill of health. Your joy is full when you move into the ranch. (laughs) And all the county thinks so. All the county, in fact, a lot of North County looks at this part of North County and thinks, well, they've arrived. They're so happy. Here's the best kept secret in town. They're miserable. (laughs) They thought that they would be full of joy when they arrived, but this is not how joy is made full. It is not made full based on your zip code. It is not made full based on a promotion at work. Your joy is not made full with a new car smell. Your joy is not made full because of a lower lease payment. Your joy is not made full when it's smooth sailing and no bumps and no more questions. Sorry, your joy is only made full in one place. And in one place only is your joy made full in fellowship with Jesus. And the point of the trial is to bring you into deeper fellowship so your joy may be full. Amen to that? Can we stand together? Lord, we just want to stand and receive the fullness of your joy in light of whatever circumstance it is that surrounds us, Lord. We just want right now to pray that you'd prepare us for trial so that we would see your purpose in the midst of this would bring us into a tighter and closer, more intimate walk and fellowship with you. Lord, we pray. Make us imminently ready for trial. That we could bless the Lord at all times, at all times, regardless of the situation, regardless of the prognosis, regardless of the circumstance, his praise shall continually be on my mouth. Make us eminently ready for trial. Is that your heart with me this morning? If so, just raise your hand. Say, Bob, that's my heart. Raise it to heaven. Put one hand on your heart and raise the other hand to heaven. And why don't you repeat after me? Just say this out loud. Lord... Make me eminently ready for trial. That the situations, circumstances would strengthen my faith, deepen my dependency, my trust that you will see me through. I've been bought with a price I'm no longer my own. I'm yours. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remember that scene from Black Hawk Down. In Black Hawk Down, they're trying to get out of the enemy's way, and there's this whole convoy that's going through. And they're picking up casualties left and right as they're trying to get out of harm's way. And there are more bullets that are flying than you can possibly imagine. And they finally stop the convoy and they're just picking up casualties left and right. They got so many casualties that they now need another vehicle. They go over and get a vehicle and literally have to push a dead guy out from behind the steering wheel in order to fit more people in that are taking on enemy fire to get out of harm's way. And the colonel yells out to one of the sergeants, Sergeant! Get in and drive. And the sergeant yells back at the colonel, I've been shot. Classic line from the movie. The colonel yells back, We've all been shot. Get in the car and drive. 
we have all been shot. We have all been attacked. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to come up with excuses. This is the time to get in and drive and trust that He's going to see us to the other side. God will show Himself strong on all who trust and call on His name. And that's who we want to be as a church to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.